I'm not following you. Miss Littleton, um, what are you doing here in Los Angeles? Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 504, entitled The Little Prince. This is the 90th episode of the series, and there are 31 to go. With that, let's jump straight into the Wikipedia summary for this episode, which opens with a flashback of Kate and Jack on Penny Widmore's boat, following their rescue in early January 2005. Kate convinces Jack that once returning home, they should claim that Aaron is Kate's biological son, while in fact his mother is Claire. In late 2007, Kate leaves Aaron in the care of Son in order to confront attorney Dan Norton, who is pursuing a maternity test for Kate and Aaron. Son receives a package with a picture of Ben and Jack and a gun. Norton tells Kate that he's going to meet his client later, and Kate decides to follow him. Meanwhile, Ben meets up with Jack and Saeed at the hospital. An orderly attacks Saeed, but Saeed overcomes him, and when he finds Kate's address... In his wallet, he, Ben, and Jack suspect Kate is the next target. The three decide to split up, with Jack going after Kate and Saeed and Ben going to the prison where Hurley is being held, following his arrest in The Lie. Jack and Kate follow Norton to a motel where he meets with Claire's mother, Carol. Once Norton leaves, Jack confronts Carol, who is only in Los Angeles to collect on a successful suit against Oceanic Airlines and has nothing to do with the maternity test. At the prison, Ben meets with Norton, who is also acting as Hurley's lawyer and is confident that he can have Hurley released the following morning. Ben and Saeed meet up with Jack and Kate, where Kate figures out that Ben has hired Norton to do the maternity test, while Son, armed with a gun, watches the conversation from a car with Aaron. On the island, following the latest time jump at the end of Jughead, Charlotte is still unconscious. She eventually wakes up and the group of her, Dan, Miles, John Locke, Sawyer, and Juliet leave to travel to the Dharma Initiative Orchid Station, where Locke believes he can find a way to leave the island. During the course of the episode, several others begin to show similar symptoms to that of Charlotte. Daniel informs them that the nosebleeds may have something to do with one's time spent on the island. This makes no sense to several of the groups, and Charlotte, who has the worst symptoms, has only been on the island a few days. The latest time jump has brought the group to November 1st, 2004, the day of Aaron's birth, an event that Sawyer witnesses, as well as the death of Boone Carlisle. Another time jump brings them to the future. At their beach camp, they find a canoe, which they use to paddle to the other side of the island. They are attacked by unknown assailants, and another time jump brings them to 1988, in the middle of the storm that caused a French science team's boat, led by Robert and his pregnant wife, Danielle Rousseau, to run aground on the island. In their emergency raft, the Rousseaus, Montand, Brennan, Lacombe, and Nadine find Jin unconscious floating on flotsam from the freighter that exploded in There's No Place Like Home. 
they land on the island and question Jin after he wakes up. The episode ends with Danielle revealing her identity to a befuddled Jin. And the summary now out of the way. Let's get into my thoughts about the episode. Uh, quite a good episode. It was an enjoyable, uh, enjoyable watch. A lot of, uh, a lot of different factors going on in the episode. A lot of balls in the air. And uh, indeed, it kind of starts with a taut, standard enough previously on Lost. And the episode proper opens once again on The Searcher. This, uh, this was not my recollection that they spent this amount of time returning to The Searcher. But, you know, sure enough, they do. And it certainly is interesting that this, in a sense, becomes a, a keystone to Season 5 thus far. And it kind of makes sense. It's a midpoint between the 2007 storyline and the on-island story originating from 2004, now back in the 1950s, and today's episode going into the future and back again. Um, but, the, you know, that boat is is this uh, midpoint to it all. And uh, it's not a bad jumping off, uh, jumping off point. So, you know, thumbs up to, thumbs up to you, Lost. Um, and indeed, on there, on the boat, Kate, ever to be made all the more hateful. Let's not forget the show has this habit of uh, just when we're starting to get okay with Kate, they bring her back into a, a dark territory, making decisions that we can't quite condone. Um, and indeed, on the boat, Kate mentions that Claire kind of, sort of, always wanted to give up Aaron. So, you know, it's kind of implied that Claire is okay with Kate taking Aaron for keepsies. Um, and as Kate spells out the storyline... That, that they're going to uh, purport to be true, that Kate was pregnant when being arrested. Um, did you feel that familiar boil of dislike coming up uh, as the show kind of stoked that once again, as the show once again made you dislike Kate? I know I did. The scene ends with Kate repeating that she's always been with Jack. You know, except for all those times that she wasn't, Sawyer being at the top of the list, but oh well. She's always been with Jack, you know. I think that the hypocrisy in that, um, a line that, or a notion at least, that gets picked up on uh, in, the, uh, in the 2007 portion of the story later on, um, it certainly comes back. But I think looking back from, from this episode, you know, whether we treat it as new or not, um, she hasn't always been with Jack. She's just, this is just, you know, the wishy-washy Kate that is a fundamentally flawed person amidst flawed people. Anyhow, though the scene is over, the, the Kate portion of the story is not. We're in 2007 and uh, she's in a borrowed suit from Sun, Kate getting all gussied up for an unknown appointment. Kate leaves and Sun gets a delivery specifically of a barely-seen report. Ah, uh, thank you, pausing in HD. More trivia on that at the end. Uh, as well as photos of Ben and strung-out, bearded Jack. Certainly looks suspicious from, from Sun's point of view. And just as we start to wonder what side she's on, the fact that she also has a box of chocolates concealing a gun is most certainly supposed to shake our faith. But... I ask you, did we buy this as first-time viewers? I really have to say no. Despite Sun's kind of wondering aloud about the evils of Jin's death, his 
unseen death, let's not forget, as it's quite important in this episode, uh, you know, the character is just built too strongly on the side of good. It's something that we really commit to and believe in, I think, so fundamentally. And the character is built so strongly on that foundation that I think it can't even get... I mean, look, if Sun... I don't know, if Sun did some awful, you know, awful mean thing, I, I suppose we'd have to accept it, but we don't really feel it coming. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, anyhow, uh, this uh, sight of the gun is shocking enough to end the, the teaser act. We get the title card, then Charlotte, unconscious and bleeding. Dan passes it off as really bad jet lag, but Juliet reminds her that people don't look like this after really bad jet lag. That mystery continuing, of course, it's being stoked, I think, uh, in part, because of the dramatic function of it being addressed in this episode. Uh, with that, we move on uh, back or ahead, or however in time, to uh, Kate's story continuing with her meeting with Mr. Norton, the lawyer. She offers, him, uh, she offers up giving him the blood test in exchange for knowing who wants to know. And the lawyer rightly reminds her that he's got a court order compelling her to give blood ahead of exchanging custody. Perhaps at this point the show is... is It's not that it's getting ahead of itself. Um, you might think as a first-time viewer that Clara's mother was featured in the previously on Lost. Uh, I think it's... you know As a first-time viewer, you might be cursing whoever it is that isn't involved in the show who puts together these previously on Lost, who now has blown it. Of course, it's going to be Clara's mother who, you know, is going to make a surprising return. Actually, the fact that Clara's mother was shown in the previously on Lost is part of the, 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 uh, the game, if you will. There really is this notion that, um, you know, we're going to suppose that it is Clara's mother when, in fact, as we'll learn at the end of the episode, it's, it's Ben pulling the strings and Claire's mother is unrelated to, uh, to this particular mystery. Uh, anyhow, back to the island story, where Locke spells out uh, that all of this will be solved if A, he can get to the orchid, B, bring back everyone, even if C, it kills him. It's a tad heavy-handed, I think, but given that we're about one quarter through the season you know, is a little slack between the story posts allowable? I think so. And with that, Charlotte wakes up. Miles dryly declares all perfectly fine and dandy, and Sawyer declares that they're off to the orchid. And indeed, what is fast becoming a very busy episode, perhaps the slack between the story posts be damned, Jack is wrapping up his treatment of Saeed, something not seen since two episodes ago. And perhaps heavy-handed recap be damned too we can say to ourselves as first-time viewers the show is relying on us to simply remember jack gets scolded by a hospital administrator for being in the hospital despite his substance abuse suspension which quickly is feeling like forever and a day ago even though it was just earlier this season that he kicked the habit um he takes it as half-heartedly as we do this is another moment where uh, I think we assume that the, sh the episode isn't being constructed wonderfully. You know, the first time was, oh no, someone's coming after Claire's baby. Claire's mother 
it was shown in the previously unlost. I've put it together because they weren't careful. Here, too, it's like, oh, this is just some dumb procedural scene of Jack getting yelled at to acknowledge the fact that he had uh, uh, this, this drug habit which was noticed by the hospital. Nonetheless, things unfold nicely. While he's out of the room, he gets a quick call from Hurley, safely in county lockup, having, quote, evaded Ben. Then Jack runs into Ben, Jack having walked farther and farther from that gently resting Saeed. Sorry, I think you have the wrong room. Nope. Room 133, right? Got the orders right here. But don't worry. I won't have to give you an injection. Put this right in your IV line. Saeed takes out his would-be assailant. Some threats, it seems, still very, very real. Who are you? Who are you working for? Talk, talk. Address in your pocket. Saeed. What happened? Do we know anyone who lives at 42 Panorama Crest? Aside from the yuckety yuck yuck of number 42, it turns out it's Kate's address, and the plot thickens. There's an act break, then Jack is calling Kate to tip her off as to the dangers at hand. She, of course, thinks that it's uh, still pill-popping Jack on the line and brushes him off. Almost. She has always been on his side, right? Odd, though, that Jack can't simply say, someone just tried to kill one of us and we all need to get to safety. Ah, the, the, the weight of dramatic tension of carrying a, a TV plot. Anyhow, in a fun little moment, Saeed and Ben re-team up, in part because Saeed wants to protect Hurley from Ben, and Ben says that they'll all meet up at Dock 23, Get it? Because it's a number. Anyhow, perhaps this look backwards is on purpose. Being cute, not just for its own sake, but to slowly ease us into what's next. The island story with Locke and company wandering across the iconic sight of the illuminated hatch streaming into the sky. For some reason, Locke is set on avoiding the whole thing. Wonderfully, by the way, Giacchino's score has low throbbing metallic sounds which emotionally echo the season one lock banging on the hatch it's really nice and it's around this point that all the cute looks back to memory lane really do start to be worth it Jay. Baby, he wants to 
not alone in this. We are all here for you, this baby is all of us. But I need you to push, okay? Okay. One, two, three, push! Push! Come on, Claire, push! wonderful, artful use of old footage, because it both reinforms Kate's place as a maternal figure in Aaron's life, albeit not the maternal figure, but it serves to remind Sawyer of his achy-breaky heart when it comes to Kate. And looking ahead, it reminds us of the great importance of Claire's pregnancy in season one, turf that we'll revisit in uh, the next season as well, or at least revisit in a certain sense. And as our island heroes flash elsewhere in time, Sawyer downplays the emotion of it all, and the act ends. After the break, Jack tracks down Kate, and they start to hash things out. But before it gets too expositional, the lawyer leaves his building, Jack hops in, and he and Kate drive off. Back to the island story in what is really a a fast-paced episode without feeling... You know, it doesn't feel like a finale. It certainly doesn't have those sort of revelations, but it really trucks along, this episode does. Um, but anyhow, back on the island, uh, Locke rehashes the, you know, pounding the hatch and seeing the light. It's with a point, though. Sawyer wonders if Locke doesn't want to tell himself how to avoid the pain, or rather if, 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 you know, if that isn't a good, uh, a good idea to try and, inform yourself ahead of time. Locke reminds Sawyer and us that the pain helped him grow into the man he is now. It's a a rather poignant thought. And that's the front of the line. At the rear of the line, there's more information being dispensed. Hey, I just got a nosebleed. What? When? Let's just not freak out the others, okay? Just tell me. Why? Why her? Why me? I don't know. Uh, I think it might have something to do with duration of exposure. You know, the amount of time you spend on the island? It doesn't make any sense. Those yahoos have been here for months. I've never been here before two weeks ago. Are you sure about that? Unfortunately, this plays slightly, just slightly out of sync with an earlier episode in which Miles himself suggested that Charlotte may have been here uh, before as well. At any rate, the group gets back to the the survivor camp, finding it deserted, though two outrigger canoes are there, complete with a foreshadowing bottle of water from, we are told, Agira? No, Ajira. Airlines, they fly everywhere. It's almost like they want us to be aware that they fly in planes, you know, like you might take to get back to an island. 
Anyhow, with that bit of foreshadowing very clearly placed in their minds, I know it also had a place in, you know, one of the online alternate reality games, but, you know, at least now it's canonical. Um, our, our bunch takes an outrigger, and Sawyer has a nice bit of mournful conversation with Juliet about Kate. Uh, then that second outrigger appears, starts shooting at them, and it all feels hopeless. Uh, cue a time flash to save the day, though the hand of the writer does pay his pound of flesh by having Sawyer declare, Thank you, Lord, to their salvation, before the time jump deposits them in a torrential downpour at night. He takes it back, and the scene suddenly, suddenly feels very tense. Uh, there's an overhead shot of the boat. I think it really feels suggestive of perhaps the return of the Dharma shark, which I know was shot, and there was apparently just the one, but it suddenly feels extremely tense. But instead, it just simply cuts back to 2007 Los Angeles. There, the lawyer has been tracked to a motel. <gasps> surprise, surprise, or not, to meet with Claire's mother. It would have been shocking if not for the fact that previously on Lost spoiled it. You might say boo hiss, but the fact that she actually is unconnected to the story of Kate and, and finding who the, you know, the, who the mother is of the, uh, of the baby, um, you know, it's setting up a good little, little zinger. Still, it's a rather flaccid way to, to, break the act and indeed they do and after the break uh kate and jack are arguing after the lawyer has come and left it's a fairly archetypal scene kate sees gloom and doom and jack says twice that he can fix it he can fix it and indeed when jack goes into the motel room with claire's mother matthew fox's acting is wonderfully stilted and tentative it fits a character thinking off the cuff and trying to cap unseen damage. Unseen to the point that he's, unsurprisingly, once again, very, very off. Dr. Shepard. Hello, Miss Littleton. Um, may I come in? Of course. You were drenched. No, 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 I'm fine. Good. I haven't seen you since your father's funeral. How did you even know I was here? Uh, I knew you were here, Miss Lilton, because I followed your lawyer. Why would you do that? I, I did it because, um... I understand that you feel the need to do this, but I need you to know that everything that Kate and I have done, it was for Aaron. Who's Aaron? I, I, I'm afraid I'm not following you. Miss Littleton, um, what are you doing here in Los Angeles? Drive and call Sun and tell her to bring Erin to the Long Beach Marina. We'll meet her there. What are you talking about? What Kate, happened? We have to go now. I'm not going anywhere until you tell me what just happened. She doesn't know anything. What? 
she doesn't know. She still thinks that Claire is dead. She doesn't even know that Aaron exists. The lawyer... She sued Oceanic, and she's in town to pick up her settlement. And it's just a coincidence that her lawyer happens to be the same lawyer that's trying to take my son. I don't know. But whoever's trying to take Aaron, it's not her. Then who is it? So who is monkeying around? Tellingly, the next shot is one establishing uh, Ben's van into view, then of Ben himself. We always kind of suspected that deep down, didn't we? Uh, Ben has the van pull into a garage to meet with, wait for it, the lawyer, Mr. Norton. The lawyer explains that Hurley should be set free in the morning, and Ben hammers it home to Saeed. That's his lawyer. Back to the island, Juliet opens up to Sawyer. Two lost souls, angry at the same world, with nothing left to lose. Let's not forget that both of these people have sent a woman that each loved to a safer place by way of a great sacrifice. That is to say, Juliet sent away her sister, and Sawyer sent away Kate. As a result, both are now, Juliet and Sawyer, both are now stuck on the island. Sawyer fesses up, but it's interrupted by Juliet, who's been third longest on the island, having a nosebleed. Furthermore, wreckage, new wreckage is discovered, but it's written in another language. Locke, in a lovely little line, indeed asks, anybody speak French? Hey, we used to know someone who spoke French, didn't we? But that was in the past. Just like our heroes are now. It's a lovely little intentional bit of foreshadowing as to where we are headed. And with that, we cut to a bunch of people speaking French. It's without subtitles, a sneaky show. And they discover something or someone. And though dead is dead, this show we do after all need to see a lot. Now, I'll admit, that's not a fantastic clip, what with, you know, no English dialogue and no audible way to, to hear the reveal. But that reveal, indeed, the return of Jin is a welcome sight indeed. It takes us to the act break, then the docks. Ah, it feels like the plan really is coming together. Ben and Saeed en route, Locke's body safely stowed, Jack and Kate having just arrived in said docks, Son and Aaron also in town. But first, Jack handles Kate with kid gloves, finally breaking the news to his tender little girl that someone was after her, if she could possibly handle such a thing, you know, the knowledge that someone was trying to get her. It is, of course, hardly a big deal for her. She's killed for less. But in Jack's point of view, I would argue, she's always that feeble little girl, isn't she? Jack, of course, continues to kid-glove it with Kate. But for once, she's a step ahead of everyone, including the great mastermind, Ben. He's here to help us. To help everyone that we left behind. We all need to be together again. It's him. What? It's him. He's the one who's trying to take Aaron. No, no, you, you don't understand. No, Jack, she's right. It was me. Sorry. What the 
hell do you think you are? Why don't you just stay away? Why don't you leave me and my son alone? Because he's not your son, okay? As their conversation continues, the camera cuts to very far away, cinematic code for they're being watched. I think first-time viewers would deliciously predict that it's Sun with Aaron in tow watching. Hey, the gang really is getting back together, except with Aaron sleeping, Sun grabs that gun of hers, Chekhov's gun perhaps, and if that's a term you're not familiar with, just a reminder that famous writer Antonin Chekhov said that you don't introduce a gun in the first act without firing it by the end of the play. And here, indeed, why in the world would uh, we give Sun a gun if she doesn't plan on using it? Granted, she doesn't fire it at the end of uh, this episode, but certainly the gun is now in play, so to speak. And, you know, what could possibly mess up this whole thing? We apparently have everybody there on the dock. Oh, yeah, there is that little bit of uh, Sun being angry over the death of her. Cut to Jin on the island, alive and well. Get it? The irony? The juxtaposition that the show is using here? I might sound a bit ironic. It really is fun, even though I think we could kind of see that coming a bit. It still is. And I suppose, you know, a lot of that applies to this episode. It's not the most um, shocking episode, but it's kind of nice being pushed slightly ahead of where the show is headed at multiple points in this episode, including... Hey, son's still angry. Why? Because, oh, yeah, he's dead, but he's not. And then, of course, the last little bit here at the end of them. Sure, we could have all predicted as first-time viewers, at least as it was unfolding. Anyhow, now that old Jin has finally learned English, he's surrounded by the French. The French have come to rescue him. And I think that, you know, as I said, we can see what's about to happen next. Um, even before that interesting-looking French lady takes off her poncho to reveal her pregnant belly. Again, just marvel in it for a moment. It's a wonderfully rare moment of the show where it's absolutely allowing us to be ahead of the reveal. No, I understand. You speak English. A little. Are you okay? Yes. How did you get here? Boat. Qui est? On s'en fout qui c'est. Qu'est-ce qu'il fait ici? Il dit qu'il est venu en bateau. What boat? It's gone. We'll sink. It must have been caught in the same storm as ours. Who are you? How long you went to water? I don't know. How do you not know how you wound up in the middle of the ocean, huh? Mon temps, laisse-le, il est en état de choc. On a l'eau à lui donner. Ouais. Tiens. Merci, Robert. Hello, Jin. 
I'm Daniel. Daniel Russo. I think at the end of that clip, the beauty of it is revealed. It's not just that we're ahead of the reveal. In fact, that might not even be the beauty of the ending at all. It's that it ends there. It leaves us, perhaps more than most cliffhangers, wanting desperately to see next week's episode right away. We are knee-deep in this season's great fun, the time travel nature of it, um, and of course the great time travel stuff that we still have ahead of us, the return of Dharma. Um, of course, they were always there, weren't they? Um, just a deliciously fun uh, season this is, particularly in light of the trials and tribulations of the previous season being shortened and the strike and so on and so forth. Um, just, just a lean, mean season and just such great, wonderful fun. And that, of course, is where the episode ends. But we're not done, not quite yet anyway. Let's take a look at Lostpedia for the bits and pieces I've missed. First is the name on the side of Ben's van is Canton Rainier, which is an anagram of, anyone? Reincarnation. Second, Ajira Airways is mentioned for the first time in the series after being a viral website for some time. Lostpedia also notes and reminds us that the uh, the presence of the Outriggers uh, does uh, place this uh, in the island's future, something that uh, Lindelof and Cuse had intended to return back to, but ultimately never did, which I think upsets people more than not. Like, you know, like whatever, it was in the future of the islands, so they didn't return back to it, fine. Penultimately, Dan Norton called Ben Mr. Linus in the police garage, which is the first time Ben is known to have used his true identity off the island. And lastly, Sun's surveillance report is partly legible, it has since been discovered that the report is an altered version of a report from an online game related, unrelated rather, to Lost. With that, let's look ahead to next week's episode, which will be 505, This Place is Death. If you'd like to share feedback, say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. Or call the listener line, 732-707-1815. So with that, friends, thank you as always for listening. Talk to you all again next week for This Place is Death. Take care, and bye-bye.